hi, hi, you make me nervous. No, that's all right. No, just like, I don't know, the thrill of talking to a, another adult is just. <laughs> <laughs> um, the silly voices we use then reminded me of how we sometimes do a uh, very serious newsreader voice. And that reminds yeah. me I have been, in fact, watching the newsreader. <gasps> right. Yes, okay. It's great. Yeah, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. it too, actually. It's a really good, solid uh, ABC drama just ticks all the boxes. It is it's about the it's about newsrooms in the eighties. Yeah. Now we are both amazingly too young to really remember newsrooms in the eighties, but there are lots of hangover overs of eighties oh. newsroom that really bled into nineties newsrooms. Right? Yeah. Well, my first uh, encounters in a TV newsroom were in nineteen ninety three, and there's certainly a hell of a lot in this doco that is resonating, and including stuff that I'd forgotten about, like in episode one where the young reporter is jockeying to get a chance to read the updates, and I just laughed when it came up because I was like, oh, that's right, the updates and the, the chance, you know, if you could get to read the updates because maybe that would turn into a chance to read weekend news and then maybe you could work your way up the food chain. It was just an absolute classic of um, of that era. And then also the, um, I mean, we still have moments now of deadline pressure and stuff not, not being quite ready, but I'm at the, the studio end of that now. Yeah. Whereas in episode one of this, it's it reminded me what it's like when you were the reporter and, you know, it's five to six and a tape gets chewed or whatever and you realise you've got to try to make it work and that's that hideous angst of standing in an edit booth, watching the clock tick down and you're not <gasps> saying a word because you know that any time you speak you are adding a delay to, you know, getting that story done. It's just uh, it's quite triggering, I must say, watching that show. Well, look, the other thing that is just, I mean... If you're as old as I am and you've been, I mean, I've been a journalist for nearly 25 years, I guess. Oh, God. But seeing that chief of staff who's played to absolute perfection oh, by gold. William McInnes, just spectacular. Oh, he's the news director. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I never yeah. remember who's who in television <laughs> newsrooms. Um, yeah, he um, is just a classic 80s or 90s news director, just I think completely he's, appalling, is shouty. Is he meant to be Peter Macon? I thought he was meant to be Peter Macon. Oh, absolutely. Beard, I assume so. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. 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 The shoutiness. Although and it's hard to watch that show because every person I'm going, is this something? <laughs> who's, who's this? You know, trying to pick who's who. Well, I just grew up in newspapers where um, it was sort of similar, but then people were sort of at the pub more <laughs> throughout the day. <laughs> oh, yeah, be, we haven't. Not to be sober on air. <laughs> Surely we're about to get that episode of the, you know, people retiring oh, to the pub for the long lunch. God, that yeah. That was a staple of that era. You were entertaining <laughs> me massively the other week because you, you, I think you've said on the pod that you had started watching the Bureau, but then you got deep in the oh weeds and you could not God. do anything except watch the Bureau. Right. So thank you for that. That's um, all right. Have you watched it all now? Um, I'm about, look, I've just, I'm early in um in the fourth series. Okay. And so I've watched the first one or two of the fourth series and it was actually interfering with my health, to be honest. <laughs> it was just I I have about a couple of weeks where I would go to bed fairly early but then on my phone in bed watch episodes of the Bureau. <laughs> and so it kind of assumed this incredible kind of nightlife aspect for me and it was so incredibly stressful oh. that particularly if I've sort of started to fall asleep and would switch it off then basically it would just continue straight into my dreams where I'd then be oh. you know in a crate in some Al-Qaeda oh. prison just being beaten you know like it's full on man and like 
it's very, 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 very tense. And I felt after a while I can't sleep because yeah. I want to watch it constantly and I need to sleep. I need to use my night times for sleeping. Did you find it more or less stressful than the Americans? More. Okay. What do you, why do you think more? Um, hmm, I don't know. Probably because it's recent and I have no short-term memory. I don't know. Um, uh, it, it's certainly more brutal. Like, yeah, that's true. Um, maybe it's um, hard to know, but I guess the Americans, because it's set in the 80s as historical fiction, so we're sort of through that era of the Cold War. Yeah. I think, whereas this is, you know, it's Syria and Iraq. And, right. You know, and, yeah. you know, I'm watching it while Afghanistan is being re-overrun yeah. by the Taliban. So I'm kind of thinking it's it's a pretty – I guess when you watch the Americans, you think the Cold War, sort of over. I mean, mostly over, yeah. over-ish, hints of over. I yeah. mean, do you know what I mean? It yeah, has yeah, the yeah. feel more of a historical – Yeah, but this yeah. feels like, oh, my God, this is never going to end. The yeah. season that you referred to with the crate, which I think is season four. Oh, no, that's season three. Yeah, That is uh, it's, well, one of the – those, I think from about episode six through to the final episode of that season where De Fleur goes on his mission out to the field, mm-hmm. that it was like it was, again, like some of the episodes the American was where I'd be watching it going, is this still pleasurable? Like, am I doing this for pleasure and for, like, recreation? Like, this is actually so I'm staring at so this tense. with my eyes gritty from oh. lack of sleep, just thinking I can't, like... It kept rolling over to another episode, and I think, no, I have to stop because it's so it's you, so tough, and also I'm so tired. Now that you've watched a fair bit, I just want to ask about a couple of characters. One is, do you find Marina really annoying? Oh my god, I find her so annoying. She really is annoying. Um, and then, uh, <laughs> what what do you views on Nadia? Oh, I love Nadia. I oh, do. You? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, what I love about Sorry, this will end soon. It's going to be – this is super boring. This is going to be one of those <laughs> Americans things where people tune in and go, oh, for God's sake. Stop talking Look, about We'll make it. this stop inside <laughs> yeah. two, two minutes. Just be grateful, listeners, that we're not talking about Hamilton. <laughs> I know. And we're happy to if you're going to get snotty be like this. about this. <laughs> anyway, um, I love the evolution of her character. You know, like she starts off being this sort of academic and then she gets harder and harder nose through – basically through pain and unfair suffering <laughs> and then she sort of becomes a bit of a train killer. See, I feel with Nadia, the, the person I was watching it with, my habit became literally any time she'd appear on screen, I'd go, oh, fucking Nadia, because <laughs> I feel like she's always messing stuff up. And so I'd Sales? constantly be... It's not her fault she got dragged into this. I constant, I feel like she's dragged Guillaume into this. I feel like it's oh, her man. fault. I feel like... And then I just feel with him like, just What do you mean? This could have happened if he had You hadn't- can shag somebody else. Just get rid of her. She's a pain in the neck. She messes up everything. Wow, <laughs> I just I I disagree. Oh, I disagree. Okay. I think you are U T N unfair to I Nadia. I think Nadia is more trouble than she's worth. Oh she was, she's she so was beautiful always, though. She was always an she's looking at. Her. Oh, she is super she's beautiful. Ridiculously yeah. I'll, beautiful. I'll give her that. She is completely beautiful. Also, I'm now thinking about if I have another daughter, calling her Prune. 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 <laughs> I just like anyone saying Prune in a French accent. What am I? I also have that thing now where I think I can speak French. I've been speaking yeah, French right. to the kids. I'm like, oui, d'accord. <laughs> <laughs> because I think I can speak French now that I've watched French people speaking for, you know, at, at length. Um, now, I really want to ask you about something you've watched, which I haven't watched yet, White mm. Lotus. I've heard so many good things about this. Okay. 
Yeah. So I went into this with my eyes wide open. It's clearly a series that is just really about um, rich white people being incredibly annoying. And I've got to say it's massively satisfying on that count. It's full (laughs) of just dreadful people. Um, So it's kind of like it's pretty simple and um, it's a bit thrilling and you get the added thrill of just – loathing just about every single character um in the uh in the show and it's in a tropical location you do a lot of laughing at these appalling characters and it's got connie Britton in it and that really is the price of admission for me i would watch it even if it wasn't good look it's um so it's set in um hawaii at a um very expensive resort yeah and it's about all the guests that show up um and they're they're all there for different reasons connie is a sort of um billionaire sort of high-flying ceo of a sort of um some sort of digital company is her hair as good as ever it's amazing yeah (laughs) And she's there with her husband, who's got a bit of a sort of like slight inferiority complex, has also had an affair, um, which has driven a bit of a wedge in their relationship. Uh, Their appalling daughter, who's brought her like fairly appalling friend along, um, and the son, who just clearly is just a lost little person who's just addicted to his devices. Um, And there's also uh, a newly married couple who have sort of wed in haste. He's super rich. She's a journo who's sort of married and is starting to think, is this guy a jerk? Spoiler, he really is (laughs) the biggest jerk. And then there's the um, hotel manager who is, um, you know, sober but um, teetering on the edge of relapse and he's dealing with all of these assholes. Um, There are many other characters as well, but they're the kind of key ones. And look, it's tense and the way that they've orchestrated this tension is with music really interestingly. You've got the sickening feeling that something is going to go horrifyingly wrong. It does. But in the meantime, you're kind of like laughing at these weird characters and also just being incredibly grateful that Connie Britton is alive. <laughs> so do you recommend it? I'm getting mixed vibes from Yeah, you. I do. Oh, I, okay. I mean, I found it really mainly because I was being ravaged nightly by the Frenchies in the bureau. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so it was I was good watching antidote. it with Jeremy and we were just kind of, you know, just looking forward to watching a new episode every night like it was sort of, right, yeah. Right. Um, great popcorn, <laughs> you know, pretty right. nicely shot. Yeah, and, and then, I really and enjoyed be, it. And I'd then you'd be like, now that I feel happy and restored, yeah, I'm, go, I'm yeah, back, to, go back to Yarm with his imaginary dog. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, my God, the imaginary dog. Shit. Um, I've watched a couple of episodes of a show called Hacks. Oh, which, yeah, I've watched all of that. Oh, have you? Yeah, and I have. I, I feel like it's in the White Lotus ballpark for me that people keep telling me, oh, you got to watch this, it's yeah. great. Um I've only watched two episodes, so I'm not that far into it. And I must yeah. say it hasn't – I don't feel like, oh, I can't wait to get home and watch more hacks, but I, di- I did quite like it. I love the main woman's wardrobe, Jane Smart's wardrobe. Oh, so good. Yeah. And I, I, um, I love the way they build that sense. So the main character um, played by – her name's Deborah Vance. She's um, played by Jane Smart brilliantly. Um, she's this sort of – incredibly wealthy um, comedian who's got a nightly show in Las Vegas that she's been doing for, you know, 20 years or something. And um, she is fierce. She is estranged from her sister because her sister married her husband, like Deborah Vance's husband. Um, She lives in this mansion with this sort of huge 
crew of subservient staff and she is about to get um, relegated or have her nights at the casino dialed back. And so she's um, thinking about maybe developing some new material. Enter this um, cancelled 25-year-old comedy writer who's made some joke about some Republican um, congressman being gay or something and got cancelled. And so she's desperate for work. And so she moves to um, Vegas to work with this crotchety uh, ageing comedian. You know, cue laughs and uh, good times. Now, I... I thought that this show was so hysterically well reviewed in advance that it was I was expecting massive things and I don't think it's as great as some of its right. most um hysterical reviews right. probably um lead you to expect. That right. said, it is very good. I thought it was um like it's great writing, the two characters, you know, this sort of millennial just even their different brands of comedy, they just yeah. they don't even get each other, you know. Yeah. Um and so it's entertaining. There's some great moments and some really sort of fast repartee. So, like, I did – I watched all the way to the end and it is a bit of a cliffhanger. Like, there's, you know, right. drama and, um, yeah, and I watched it with my daughter as well. Right. Yeah, I'll probably persist. It's it's a shame, isn't it, sometimes when something gets that kind of – that's what I'm a bit worried about with White Lotus, that so many people have told me, this is so great, that I'm a bit worried, like, oh, God, am I going to watch it and think, nothing can live up to I think just the – I mean, White Lotus – I think I was ready for because it was it was promoted kind of accurately, like which is right. it's kind of popcorny, right? You know, bit of sort of light social commentary. Um, Hacks I thought was promoted or like reviewed as like oh my god, just sort of like incredible comedy. I thought right. it was funny. I right. didn't think it was kind of um, the greatest thing you'd ever seen. No, no, but it's definitely entertaining. Um, mm. You used the phrase <laughs> developing some new material, which oh, gives me the perfect segue to Gwen Blake, who has developed some new Chat 10 merch. It's a cross-stitch kit. and she's Or sent- it's segue <laughs> of the year. <laughs> and she sent From me. to cross-stitch. Because she knows we can't be trusted can't- to promote it correctly on our own. She sent me a perfect series of dot points for me to read aloud to explain what it is for people who are into Cross stitch. Um, well, the just, idea. Just, can I just like back up the truck. Can yes. I just suddenly we're now in cross stitch? You know, <laughs> don't ask me. Deep detail about cross stitch. How they like? I actually now I've been as you know uh, cowering in my bed watching Frenchmen get tortured in the Middle East. <laughs> so I may have missed. But all of a sudden, Gwen had a cross stitch kit uh, in the offing. Like, what, don't it? don't ask questions of Gwen. Okay, all right. So. You can now do your own Chat 10 cross-stitch. You can. It's actually beyond parody in some ways. Here's some of the information. The idea of a cross-stitch kit is inspired by the cover of the new book and lockdown because, you know, the cover of Well Hello is like looks like embroidery. Well, it is embroidery. It's been embroidered and photographed. That's that's what's going on. Pay attention. Gwen did a post on the podcast. that book out, by the way? It must be soon. (laughs) Pre-order it wherever you order it. You can pre-order it and then it'll be on your doorstep. Right on time. Gwen did a post on the podcast asking people for ideas for the first cross-stitch kit. The overwhelming response was, please leave by 9pm. So she's got this gorgeous little (laughs) kit that says it's like a little sort of cross-stitch thing that you could hang up. How many of those are you going to get for Christmas, do you think? (laughs) 
We've created the kit. It'll launch in the Chat 10 online store sometime in September. Keep an eye on your socials. Well, September. It comes with clear instructions and videos, so it's fine for beginners. Gwen, yes. in fact, has been doing one herself, but oh she periodically God. sends us photos of yep. herself doing it. That's she's, what she's also been, been rock painting. The thing that I'm most interested in is that a donation will be made to the Centre for Eye Research Australia for each kit purchased. Obviously, eyesight, cross-stitch, blah, blah, blah. Um, we've got to be thankful for our site and remember that not everybody has it. So if you're a cross-stitcher or a craft person or you just want to yeah. do something crazy in lockdown, <laughs> you think, oh, yeah. I haven't done cross-stitch since I was a child. I might give that a go. Oh, I'm going to um, be all over it. Yeah. So anyway, online store in September. Watch your socials. It'll be out there. You won't um, miss it. <laughs> what was the other thing I've been telling Gwen? Because I've realised now that like literally any time, Gwen is so suggestible for stuff. What was it? What did mm. I tell her I wanted the other we day? Start it was an umbrella it. or a chat chat umbrella or something. There was something I Something nice and easy to post. Like the yeah. doormats. <laughs> no, it was something. What about oh, the doormats? People are going mad for the doormats. I the must doormats. say. Oh, the doormats. When she That's did the doormats, crazy. I thought, now you've actually flipped because that is the most ridiculously <laughs> difficult thing to post. And also the week where she was, it was her birthday and she was moving house and oh. she's like, I'm just going to put up the last 300 doormats and just like, what? <laughs> I know. And what it proves to me is I know absolutely nothing about, you know, what Gwen knows all about, which is design and products mm. and what people actually like and all that kind of stuff. The visual she- here is that Sales has now taken off her glasses <laughs> and is now gesticulating at me with the glasses. Because Gwen Gwen says these things like, oh, I'm going to do a cross-stitch kit or I'm going to do a doormat. And I think, but who wants a doormat? And then like a squillion people go, yep, I want a doormat. A doormat would be great. So, yeah, she knows what she's talking about. I really I quite admire it. She is a very weird lady. Um, I have, but for whatever reason, not been doing very much Reading. I've just been watching reams of television, but I have That's read one book. Why is it? Like, why? I don't. Why? 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 Know. I read that Steve Bidolf book, which actually oh, yeah. lots of people have come back to me to tell me that they liked the sound of that. But um, I have started reading about halfway through a book called Here in the After by Marion Frith. Um, I have got that one as well. So it is um, basically. It's two characters. It starts off with two characters who haven't met each other. One is Nat, who's an army veteran who's served in Afghanistan, very timely. And the other one is a woman named Anna who has been caught in a kind of Lint Cafe-type terrorist incident in Sydney, and she is the only survivor, but she's really catastrophically injured and traumatised from it. And it starts with the sort of aftermath of, you know, her being in hospital from the terrorist attack and him seeing it unfold on television and feeling he's got PTSD and then he sees this attack and he feels like, God, you know, it's come here and we were meant to prevent this and that's what my service was meant to be about and he can't quite get on top of his um, feelings about it and he's kind of wrecking his marriage and then he decides that he wants, he needs to speak to this woman, Anna. Uh, And so he starts trying to make contact with her and his wife's like, God, you know, just can you leave this poor woman alone? It's got nothing to do with you. And then it sort of goes from there. I'm really enjoying I think I'm not as far into it as you because I'm only a couple of chapters in. But um, I really, oh, maybe because Afghanistan is just everywhere in the news. So, And I've been thinking just a lot about people who have been over there in the conflict and come back and just, you know, watching all of this happen and having oh. it add to their own kind of ongoing PTSD and trauma about what they've seen. Like, I mean, it's one thing to live it, but then another to then, you know, watch it all just going so horrifically backward, which is just... Um, yeah, everyone that I know who's worked there in any capacity, military or media yeah, or yeah. whatever, um, it just feels absolutely gutted by uh, watching it. And, I mean, it's... 
Lisa Miller and I actually have talked a bit about this because we were in Washington post nine eleven. So when yep. Afghanistan started, you know, mm. we were reporting mm. it from that end and. Twenty years ago, the thing that's so frustrating sometimes about history and foreign policy in these areas is, at the time, you know, everyone said uphill and down dell. Afghanistan's a really difficult country to do nation yep. building in, and you know, should the mission be more precisely targeted? And you know, blah blah blah. And um, of course, you know, then when it rolled into Iraq, what does this have to do with Al Qaeda? Mm. Al Qaeda's not in Iraq, you know, all of the rest of it. And then, you know, watching how that's unfolded, you just think, um, well, <laughs> you know. The war on terror was supposed to make the world a safer place. Has it actually uh, done that? And so that's kind of frustrating, particularly because at the time um, the vibe was when you were asking, it reminds me a bit of the COVID era actually, the vibe was if you were questioning any policies. You were unpatriotic. You were unpatriotic. Yep. You are with us or you're with the terrorists. Yep. You weren't allowed to question yep. the approach. Yep. Um, and there's a lot of social media at the bullying social media bullying at the moment about if you dare question anything to do with COVID policy, Mm. um, you know, whether the use of lockdowns or whether the uh, move to open up at 70%, like anything, this is just this huge kind of pile on where actually the role of journalists should be to ask, you know, difficult questions and, you know, um, whether they're popular or not or whether they have, you know, popular support or not. you know, one, one of the things that's really leapt out at me is in the post-9-11 era, lots of people's civil liberties were wound back yep. and there was mm-hmm. a big outcry about it mm. at the time and lots of questions were asked. Well, a similar kind of thing is happening now. Whether you agree with that or not, whether you think it's necessary or not, questions should be asked mm. about it. Um, when we have a situation where if you're sitting in the park eating a sandwich, you can be fined or arrested, that deserves some questions to be asked about it. Now, there could be a perfectly valid answer for that and people will have the full range of, of yeah. uh, opinions from one spectrum to the other, but you can't tell me that it shouldn't at least be a subject of discussion. Yeah, I remember that 20 years ago, um, that kind of stratification of the debate about all these really complicated issues mm. um, and it's a really it's a terrible thing to see in a society. I can see how it happens because it's always simpler to be on a team, right? Like because you have to do less of the thinking. And it's when but, it's when there's fear involved. That when oh, when the public when there's a lot of because fear. Because if you can be accused of not looking after people who are afraid, then that's a really, you know, like it's it's a it's a really powerful weapon for um, making change or um, pursuing a political course of action. The yeah. thing that I like, just to take it back to the book for a second, um, about Marion Fifth's book, Here in the After, is that it kind of ties things together in a way that I think sometimes when you have really divisive areas of public policy debate, there's a tendency to simplify things. So, mm. like, 20 years ago, I remember, like, I remember being on the 2001 election campaign where you had, um, you had like, um, this military action brewing in Afghanistan. At the same time, you had refugees from Afghanistan arriving by boat. And it was almost like they were two separate, even though they were completely connected. And I like the way that this book looks at, you know, the domestic experience of terrorism. Also, what's happened to this soldier who's been, you know, in a faraway place doing battle with the same phenomenon. Yeah, 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 that's right. The the sort of connection and the ripple mm. effects through the years. Like yeah. We had a story on 7.30 this week about a, a guy who was a child on the boat 
the Tampa boat that, that um, Arnie Oh, I in. saw that. God, yeah. yeah and he, he was, was one of the cohort that story. was resettled in New Zealand mm. um, and now, you know, he's really high-achieving guy, Fulbright scholar, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, man, the sliding doors. Like if he hadn't yeah. been resettled in New Zealand, like if he'd been one of the people that, say, went to Nauru or something, like you, your life just can turn out so completely differently. Did you see that Australian story that was on, I think, the same night that that story was on? It was um, – you wouldn't have seen it because you would have been going home, but – um, oh, God, it was about um, a 99 um, Vietnamese people escaping on a boat. This is like 50 years ago. No. Um, and they were picked up by an army vessel, um, an Australian – sorry, a Navy vessel. What am I talking about? Um, an Australian Navy ship. Um, and it was mainly just um, – it was mainly women and kids on this boat massively overcrowded and in high seas. Right. And there was a photographer um, on board, like a Navy photographer, who um, just pulled out his camera and started shooting like this extraordinary rescue, right? Like they had a, um, you know, basically a rope ladder down the side of this huge Navy boat and they were these kids and mums were just weak, sick, couldn't make it up the ladder, so they're, they're going down the lab. Uh, the photographs are extraordinary. Mm. But what they what the Australian story was about was this reunion that was organised between oh. the captain and the crew and this sort of disparate crew of Vietnamese refugees who have gone on to make lives in Australia. And they had this huge reunion. Um, and I just was bawling like oh. a baby, partly because – just hearing the reflections from the naval officers and crew who were there and f for whom it was one moment, right, like where they decided, okay, your code is to help people who are in trouble on sea. So they pulled them aboard and they looked after them and, um, you know, they weren't really set up to look after nearly 100, you know, um, starving people, but um, they got them um, ashore and then they all found out it changed all of their lives. Like that one moment changed all mm. of their lives. And it's an incredibly moving piece of television. I, I thoroughly recommend it. And I think we're about to be in a phase where we um, are going to go back into this argument about refugees and it's a it's a valuable thing to see um, for a historical perspective. Yeah, that, Just, sounds, yeah. that sounds great. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, we've run down the clock We have run down again. the clock, as always. Um, one just quick thing, you recommended She is Haunted to me oh, yeah. a couple of podcasts ago, and I've read a few of the short stories and that. It's really great. Loving it is it. Loving absolutely it. an extraordinary it's, – it's a really, really great piece of writing, short stories um, that really hang together but also live separately. It's a great thing. I really started cottoning onto it, um, even though, like you, I think in lockdown I've been not um, reading as much. It's somehow it's on the it's on the um, wavelength that makes it incredibly easy to read. It's also just original, um, really original writing. Mm. I'm doing a very bad job of explaining why it's good. Sorry, <laughs> I've run out of words. <laughs> I think the short, the short attention span lends itself oh, well to a short story. Yeah, but it so. is. Yeah, it is. You pick it up and you're like, oh wow, this is amazing. Like. Um, 
okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sorry, spent. I'm distracted now because I because I'm just I'm so it's it's one of those days where some because we often record our podcasts in the morning before I go to work, yeah. and some days that works really well, and then other days there'll be just stuff backing up where they're w- waiting to talk to me. I know, and I don't want to interrupt our recording to break the flow of the conversation. But then I start getting increasingly antsy. You think, oh God, they've texted me like five times. Really You've been marvelous. Thank you for your time. <laughs> Go, go, get a job. <laughs> Thanks, Toots.